0: This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington, and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Jane Tara, and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well, and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Dr. Tara Swart is a neuroscientist and former psychiatric doctor. She's a senior lecturer at MIT Sloan and an executive advisor to some of the world's most respected leaders in media and business. Her book, The Source, draws on the latest cognitive science and Tara's experience as both a psychiatrist and coach to reveal the secret to mastering our minds. I love this book. Love it so much. So I'm thrilled to be talking to Tara today, Tara Swart. Welcome to be better. Thank you for having me. I love, uh, I love having an Australian audience. <laughs> oh, look, I, I'm, um, I'm a little in awe, actually. So, y- you hold a degree in biomedical science, a PhD in neuropharmacology from King's College in London, a um. med- medical degree from Oxford University, plus your impressive CV of professional positions and accomplishments, and yet you're here talking to me about manifestation, uh, science and spirituality. I mean, it's an exciting time that we live in really to be Mm. sort of merging these two areas together, isn't it? Yeah. And
0: I think I've really taken inspiration from people like Dr. Bruce Lipton and Deepak Chopra, who are either a doctor or a scientist that have gone down that path because it kind of felt for a lot of my life that that wasn't allowed. You couldn't be both. So Mm. I was one thing professionally and started delving into, you know, the spiritual side of things personally. And it was only really when I wrote the source that it made so much sense to me, but then it was people's reactions to it that really made me think, okay, this is a thing I can be both. And that was very
1: liberating. It is. And I think they have certainly blazed a trail, haven't they? You know, Bruce Lipton mm-hmm. with epigenetics and, uh, you know, and, and Deepak Chopra, I love them both. Um, mm. But now it has become sort of more mainstream. You know, I also am a big follower of uh, Joe Dispenza and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're releasing a lot of research and science into this type of thing. But what what I love about your book is that you really simplify it. You don't talk about sort of more metaphysical concepts. It Mm -hmm. really all goes back to brain science, to the brain and the power of the brain, which you you call the source mm-hmm. um i i just it it has become the book that i give people to really explain how they can change their lives without any woo woo around it because it's really not you know can you just explain the source to our listeners
0: yeah so i agree with you that when i started looking into manifestation it was all explained by quantum science, which kind of means that the power of it comes from the universe and from energy that's around us, as well as in us. But as a neuroscientist, I needed to understand how it worked in the brain. Even if there's some kind of external influence, there's obviously something happening in your brain that's allowing you to manifest. And so I set out one summer to just research the laws of attraction and see if I could explain them with cognitive science, which is how your brain works. And that's what really led me to realise that your brain is the source of you being able to do those things. That that power is available to everyone, but you've got to use your brain to, to really channel it. And I also felt that it needed to make sense to me as a scientist, but that that was much more empowering. If you feel like it's you that's doing those things and it's not just happening around you or happening for you then you can really start to take responsibility for your own life. And that's a little bit scary, but it's also a huge opportunity and a lot of hope for people who maybe feel that they're stuck in a job or stuck in a relationship that they're not really happy with, or, Mm. you know, just kind of. On a life path that's not everything
1: that they ever dreamed of. Mm, I think uh, you write in the beginning of the book, developing metacognition, or rather thinking about thinking, and becoming aware of one's awareness rather than functioning on autopilot, is one of the main objectives of the source, and it's that it's when you become the observer of your own programs, for example, mm. and once you become that observer. There's no going back. Once you start yeah. to see how your brain works, there's no going back. So it can be overwhelming too because you go, oh, my God, I didn't realise I was so negative or that I was, mm-hmm. you know, drawing these experiences in with this constant programming in my brain. What I love about your book is that you lay out such a simple program and way of cutting through that and actually rewiring the neural pathways. And as you say in it, you know, it's not always easy, but it's possible. And, you know, and and you've really simplified that for us, the readers. Um, You lay out six principles that underpin the law of attraction and you explain what modern neuroscience says about them. You've written down abundance, manifestation, magnetic desire, patience, harmony, universal connection. So all of these, anyone who is into kind of self help and everything might may have heard these, but once again, it's about the science in your book and, and the brain and how the brain works. I want to discuss manifestation in this, and it has a bit of a reputation as woo-woo, but you can't just think about something, set an intention and that thing will magically appear, right? No. You explain how the brain works here. And in particular, and I love this part of it, value tagging. Mm. So, and, and that's kind of key to manifesting. It's this tagging that the brain does, value tagging. Mm. Can you explain what that is?
0: Yeah, I just want to go back a little bit over some of the points that you've raised. So the first one is awareness. And, you know, like you've said, if you're not aware of the way that you're thinking, and it's absolutely human nature to think never negatively, it's a survival mechanism. So if if people are thinking, you know, that's never going to happen for me, or maybe I'm thinking too big, that that's really normal. So becoming aware of that and then using abundance, which is the first part before manifestation, mm. which is the understanding that millennia ago, we had to think of survival rather than thriving. Mm. In the modern world, we're not in danger from a saber-toothed tiger, but it's the psychological safety that affects us. And that's something that we can turn around with our mind and say, you know, I'm safe. I have a roof over my head. I'd like to get a a raise or a better job and I'm going to go for it. And and that's, you know, what, what you'll try to manifest. So the value tagging part is to do with the fact that We're bombarded with information constantly. I mean, if you read one newspaper today, you would receive as much information as somebody would receive in their whole lifetime, a hundred years ago. Mm. And even a hundred years ago, the brain had to filter out things that weren't, you know, completely necessary. Like we don't feel our clothes on our body all day because we don't need that data going to our brain. So the brain naturally filters out things that aren't important to our survival And then it tags the things that it considers important to our survival in order of importance. And there's two channels to that. One is things that logically make sense that, you know, you've got to get up in the morning, get dressed, go to work kind of thing. Um, And then there are things that are more emotional, which might be like to do with your relationship or your self-image or your health. So what we want to do is direct that tagging, because if you're not conscious of that, your brain's just going to keep it on survival mode and say like these are the things that you need to pay attention to to survive and and just you know have a decent life but not necessarily put yourself out there take healthy risks and you know try to improve your life kind of more of a step change than little increments so i'm a big proponent of creating what i call an action board
1: i love it to help yeah. your
0: brain yeah yes so because that's like a vision board, it's images of things that you want in your life, and they can be really literal, like a house, or they could be more metaphorical, like, you know, you could put a heart if you want to find love. Mm. If you look at those images every day, you visualize them becoming true, you believe that they are true, you know, will definitely become true, and you give gratitude for that, you are completely re-channeling the value tagging in your brain. Mm.
1: Right. That's the connection. That's, it's the value tagging and you start Mm. to, your brain starts to, well, it preps and it starts to look for those opportunities Mm -hmm. or those experiences or those people or whatever that will draw that visual data in that, you know, that you've placed onto a vision board. I mean, I've done for years now, I've done mind movies and things, but I've actually changed over just prior to reading the book. But then I went, oh, yes, you know, says Mm. here. So I'm doing the right thing. Stop doing mind movies and um, just doing vision boards for all sorts of things. Like if I have a period of time in my life coming up that I just really want clarity around Mm -hmm. how I'm going to approach that period. I'll make a vision board for it, you know, just on Canva or something like that, and keep going yeah. back to it. And and it's like, ah, I've I've sort of, I, I'm very clear about what I want, and then my brain, as you say, value tags things to help me get there. I guess. Okay, Jane, I've got a tip for you to take you to the next level,
0: mm-hmm. because when I hear that people are using Canva or Pinterest or Google or whatever. What I feel as, an, as a neuroscientist is that you're obviously a specific manifesto and not everybody is. Some people are more general, mm. that you're looking for things that you know that you want. Mm. But the problem with that is that you're still contained by what your brain believes you're capable of. So if you went out and got some magazines and just looked through the images, maybe there'll be something in there that you hadn't thought of that will just really like attract your attention. You may not even know why at first, or you'll find something and say, oh, I hadn't thought of that, but actually this is something I really want. So that kind of starts to expand your view of what you can get. Oh, that's interesting. I also, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Because otherwise you're only going in with a focus of this is what I want. And it took me years to, to do this because mm-hmm. I used to do, this is exactly what I want. Then I started thinking, well, maybe I can get more than what I know that I want. So I moved things from being like a specific amount of money that I wanted to earn. I just moved it to images of abundance so that it could maybe be bigger than, you know, what I even think I could get. And then I started leaving more space on my board or using a really metaphorical image like a unicorn to represent something that I haven't thought of yet but could come in as a really great big surprise. Oh, I love
1: that so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear about what your unicorns have been. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, that's great. I love it. Mm. And you're right, you're right, because I'm still creating a vision, I guess, of what I think I can achieve rather than Mm. the unknown.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, the unknown is scary. And I wouldn't suggest what I've just said for people if they're starting to make a vision board for the first time. But because I know you've done mind movies and you've done vision boards, I, I just, I feel like, you know, I wanted to also give you something on your podcast that's maybe not in the book, you know, something mm. that hasn't been heard before. Because when I do my podcast, I always want to get like a new nugget from people.
1: Well, I, I love that one. And that's going to be my weekend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> weekend at home. Yeah. I'm gonna make Yeah, make yeah that I know up. what you're doing. This <laughs> yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so visualization is a big part of this. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because I, I'm also a writer, an author, and mm-hmm. a very highly visual person. Mm-hmm. And it was about well it was actually in 2014. So it was 10 years ago, I went and I was doing a course at early Dr. Joe course. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I really, really, despite the fact that I'd been meditating and doing all sorts of things for years, the first time that I really viewed my programs the way Mm -hmm. that I thought. I became the observer of my own mind. Mm -hmm. And I realized that this vivid imagination that I have was being (laughs) uh, put to evil rather than good, like the the Mm -hmm. scenarios that I was coming up with in my head were just unbelievable. And I have been on this decade long journey of really Mm -hmm. training myself to come up with visualizations of you know my life, my future, anything really. Like I'm not going to. I, I used to just say, and this is an example. I'd pull up at a traffic light, and someone would cross the road, and in my mind, it'd be like, imagine if they turned around, had a shotgun, and were shooting. Oh. you know, it was like very, very kind of dramatic visuals in my head. And yeah. I, but I realized I wasn't utilizing visualization to my mm-hmm. benefit. I was coming mm-hmm. up with all sorts of crazy creative scenarios, but not to my benefit. And and I mean, athletes have been always been using visualisation. And so can you explain how we mere mortals <laughs> can be using visualisation on a day-to-day basis to benefit us?
0: Mm-hmm. That's such a great question because, so we're basically talking about neuroplasticity, which is rewiring certain pathways in your brain. and. It's very easy, isn't it, to obsess over a breakup and keep reinforcing that negative, Mm -hmm. you know, bad ending of a relationship and put yourself off any future relationships. But so we need to use neuroplasticity for positive. And and again, that's to do with that gearing of the brain, which is to try and keep us safe. Um, But we can overwrite that with conscious effort. And visualization is is one of, of the ways of doing that. And the reason it's important is that anything uncertain or new is a threat to your brain. Mm. So, you know, you've mentioned athletes, obviously, but let's say you were going to give a talk about your book Mm. and it was in a place that you've never been before and you don't know who's going to be there. However great you are at speaking and however excited you are about it, your brain is going to feel threatened when you stand up onto that stage Mm. in a strange place with, you know, lots of faces looking at you. I actually try to find a picture of the space or even go and visit it before, you know, the day before I'm going to speak so that my brain has seen it before. Mm -hmm. If you're able to take that image, visualize the space, visualize yourself there, visualize people looking at you, then when you actually turn up, it's going to be less scary. Same with anything else, like a new job, a new house, a new relationship. If you actually can imagine it in your mind, imagine yourself going on a date imagine it going well imagine mm. sharing your home with someone it's all going to become less scary and you'll be more willing to you know take that first step into the unknown than you would have been before but i also sometimes when i work with creative people like you who either you know create art or do a lot of visualization i actually suggest a different modality for you because That's the way that you think and you use that way of thinking for your work. So I think mind movies are great. I think creating a soundtrack of success for yourself is a great thing to do. Because um, of our five senses, all the nerves apart from smell, they go all the way around the skull before they connect up with the part of the brain. So your optic nerve goes from your eye all the way to the bottom of the back of your skull. But the olfactory nerve goes straight from the top of your nose into the part of the brain just behind your nose where smell happens and it's very very closely connected to the parts of the brain that are to do with memory and emotion so you can also use a particular smell like a you know aromatherapy oil or something to signify to yourself things are going well I'm manifesting you know some of the smaller things that I was looking for that means that the bigger things are going to come so, you can use all of your senses to train that's, your brain to. That's really not feel good. Scared. So, could,
1: uh, so could mm. that be used in, say, public speaking?
0: Mm, absolutely. So, I use one particular smell, mostly lavender, for sleep. Mm. So, when I'm traveling and I'm jet lagged, I can use that as an anchor to signal to my brain it's time to sleep. You know, it's just an additional thing that can help. And then people will, you know, you could use one smell in the morning to kind of like wake you up. You can have a particular one for your public speaking. You can have a particular perfume for dating, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Oh, I love this. I think that's wonderful and um, something that I'll definitely explore because you write about the brain in great detail, but one of the areas I do find really fascinating is the chemistry that you talk about and Mm -hmm. all the the brain chemicals and everything. And um, actually, my partner is a a pilot and he's just Mm. retraining off one plane and going over to another plane to the A380. And, you know, it's going to be seven months of, of training. It's a really big, big process for his brain. Yeah. And the other day he went, oh, you know, I don't know, is my brain going to handle it? So I got out your book and I was, <laughs> and I was reading parts of it and, and things like Hydrating the brain. I said, you know, Mm -hmm. as you're really studying, it's a very intensive process. You know, you've got to keep your brain hydrated. The protein BDNF, I find this really fascinating. And I said, okay, Mm -hmm. so we're going to find ways to hack your brain and make sure that the process of learning, I think you talk about in, in one section about, might be with learning a language actually, where the brain takes in information. Into a, a different area and and it takes about mm-hmm. three months to sort of move it through that that area of the brain. am I right in how I'm describing it so yeah you're you're absolutely right basically, you're building up
0: you're connecting neurons in your brain that already mm-hmm. exist and you're create and potentially creating new pathways. I never like to put a timeline on it because I think it depends how intensely you're learning something so If I use that app Duolingo to learn Spanish at home, and I kind of try and do it every day, but I don't necessarily do it every day, compared to if I actually go to a Spanish class and then go and live in Spain for a month, just you know, you can see how the timeline is going to be different for how Mm. proficient you become at that language. So, you know, and as soon as I hear about your partner, I think he's doing one of the best things that you can do if your brain in adulthood, which is you know, learning something new and it's quite a big thing. So it's forcing your brain to change. And that, you know, that is a little bit scary, but you need to have a little bit of fear or anxiety around that process because it actually spurs you forward, but just not too much fear or anxiety. And you also need to have the appreciation for learning, the excitement about it all. And, you know, just draw on things like the last time you had to learn something that big, there was a time where you felt like saying, oh, I don't know if my brain's going to handle it,
1: but you did. Mm, mm. So, you know, you're going yes. to go through the same process. So- I mean, I've, I've certainly never learned how to fly a plane, but, um, no. but you know, I, I can remember living in, I lived in Tokyo for many years and I also lived in Vienna. And both times wow. I went to school, language school there. And mm. uh, in Vienna in particular, I can remember just really struggling with the Mm. kind of headaches and the, it was like my brain Mm. hurt, you know, Mm. one particular time. And there was something that you said, I was listening to the audio book and, and couldn't find it in here about learning a language because when I was in Vienna, every time I would open my mouth to speak German, Japanese would come out. Yeah. And I thought this is just, and I wasn't that good at Japanese, to be honest, so I didn't know why that was happening, but there was an explanation of something in your book that explained to me what was happening with my brain and if I'd maybe stuck it out, because instead I went, you know what, I'm just not good at languages and I gave up German. So now I'm like, oh, I should have stuck it out, you know.
0: (laughs) I mean, you obviously are good at languages. If you learn Japanese, that's pretty impressive. But I had a similar insight to you, which is because I was brought up bilingual with um, English and an Indian language. And then I learned French at school from around the age of nine to 16. Mm -hmm. So those were my childhood languages. And then after the age of 25, I learned another European language based on Dutch. And then I later took some lessons in Danish. And every time I opened my mouth to speak Danish, the um, Afrikaans language would come out, but never the French or the Indian language. Mm. And I was discussing it with a professor of neuroscience. And he said, isn't that fascinating that we obviously code our childhood languages in a different part of the brain to our adult languages. And it was just it was almost like I got to like open up the lid of my skull and look inside my brain and see that they were they were in completely different compartments. It was so fascinating.
1: That was really yeah. fascinating to me. I thought, "Ah, mm. oh, that explains what had happened to me." And I and I wish I'd sort of stuck it out now, but maybe I'll go back to it actually. So, just talk to me a little bit about this protein BDNF in mm-hmm. the brain because I'm looking to create more for my partner. Okay, I'll yeah. give you yeah. I'll give you some
0: good hacks.
1: Biohacks.
0: So yeah. it stands for brain derived neurotrophic factor. And trophic means growth. And so that's growth of neurons, which are the nerve cells in your brain. So There are three types of neuroplasticity, which means that you're changing things in your brain. And the the easiest one is myelination, which is a fatty substance that coats some pathways in your brain and makes them conduct faster messages. So that's what athletes use repetition for. Repetition myelinates neural pathways. There are reasons that we have slow and fast pathways. So for example, if you put your hand in the fire Your reflex to snatch your hand out of the fire is fast pathway, but your pain reflex is a slow pathway because if you were incapacitated by pain, you wouldn't be able to get away from the danger. So you feel the pain a bit later. And then there's synaptic connection, which is fully grown neurons that can make more connections. You know, as you learn German, the pathways for German will make more and more connections. And then there's neurogenesis, which is the growth of embryonic nerve cells into fully formed nerve cells, which then connect up with others and might may or may not get myelinated. So neurogenesis doesn't happen a lot in the adult brain, but it obviously happens around the memory centers because we're laying down new memories throughout our life. And if we you know, take on an intense new learning, then it may happen in association with that. So that, that's basically like Of the three ways that you can change your brain, that's the most, that's the hardest one. And it's kind of the one that makes the biggest difference in your brain. And the main ways to improve BDNF production in your brain are aerobic exercise. And I always like to add that the good news here is if you're regularly exercising, then the turnover of these cells in your brain is about 13, 14%. If you have not been exercising, but you then start, the turnover is more like 30%. So that's always my excuse for kind of, you know, having fallen off the exercise
1: schedule and Phew. starting again. Yeah. yeah. Because I did read that and I thought, oh, Pilates isn't going to cut it, is it? <laughs> I need to up the ante on my exercise. Yeah. Yeah. But, but
0: equally, you do need to be careful because I am not an advocate of high intensity exercise because that's actually very stressful for your brain and body so it can produce quite a lot of adrenaline and cortisol which mm-hmm. actually kills brain cells so you know it's being active aerobic not being sedentary but not necessarily you know really upping the ante like too much mm. and then the other thing is you know you've mentioned hydration and you know we we would also say like deep breathing and managing your stress a part of it but the other main one is through your nutrition so obviously you know baseline eat healthily and regularly but for BDNF production the darker foods that you can eat. So, you know, making choices like black beans over white beans, purple sprouting broccoli over green broccoli, blueberries over strawberries, black lentils over yellow lentils. Those dark skinned foods. Oh, and the good news is it includes dark chocolate and good quality coffee. Cause I know you Australians
1: love your coffee. I have dark chocolate every single day, actually. And <laughs> of course my coffee, yes, it's an art. <laughs> yeah.
0: So all of those dark skinned plant-based products contain more antioxidants than, than the, their regular counterpart. And they're particularly um, called anthocyanins, and they help production of BDNF. So, aerobic exercise and dark-skinned foods are the
1: top 2. I'm going to up my intake of dark chocolate tonight. Is it <laughs> wine? Does wine count? <laughs> like, a, I mean red wine is, yeah. is better than white wine for that reason, but unfortunately, yes. alcohol is also a neurotoxin, so Yeah, I it's all really, about balance. I, I feel it now actually when I some um, I can't drink that much anymore unfortunately. So, with sleep. Let's just talk briefly about sleep and I know how important sleep is for the brain. What does it actually do? Like if you're getting, uh, say, and you say seven to nine hours or eight to nine Mm -hmm. hours a night, and Mm -hmm. that's what I can't function unless I get eight hours minimum (laughs) a night, what does it do? What's the process that the brain goes through? So it can actually work effectively. So I'm really glad to hear you say that you feel in yourself that you need that much sleep. I'm the
0: same there are still a lot of people out there that don't believe that we need that much sleep. And, and look, that's a population norm figure. It's not the figure for every single person, but you know, there's 5% of people at either end who need more or less than that. And all of the people that I meet who say, oh, I can manage on four or five hours sleep, they can't be in those 5%. So, mm. so you know, some people definitely aren't getting enough. The, the way to know if you're getting enough is if you naturally wake up at the weekend at the same time that you have to wake up during the week and you're fine, you're probably getting enough sleep. If you have to lie in, if you need to take naps, if you feel like you could sleep all weekend, you're probably not getting enough sleep during the week. Mm. The main reason for saying seven to nine hours is that there's a really important cleansing process of the brain that goes on overnight and that takes seven to eight hours. So you need to be in bed for longer than that to allow that process to happen. It's Nobel science prize winning research about the glymphatic system. So it's like the lymphatic system in your body, but because it's to do with glial cells in your brain, it's called the glymphatic system. And we used to think that, because there are sort of like, there's obviously fluid around the brain, between the brain and the skull, and there are sort of like lakes inside the brain as well. And we used to think that there was a passive trickling through of that fluid overnight But we know now that there's a forcible flushing out of toxins. So through the wear and tear of daily life, stress, processed food, antibiotics, ageing, we do produce plaques and tangles and tau proteins and things, which if they build up, eventually become the pathology of of dementia. Mm. And so there's this cleansing process that forces those out overnight. And if we don't get sufficient good quality Sleep every night, then we disrupt that process. And another thing that's become really important is not just the fact that you're getting eight hours sleep, but that your sleep and wake times are regular within one hour. So you know that you go to sleep between ten and eleven, and you wake up between you know Mm. six and seven or whatever it is. Not that you know one night you go to bed at midnight and another night you go to bed at nine, kind of thing. So the the regularity, as well as the length, as well as the quality, are important in Aging and Mm. in your brain health in general. And I think all of these things that that you've asked about sleep, diet, exercise, hydration if you haven't created the conditions for those things correctly in your brain, body, system, it's difficult to manifest. You know, you need to like put in all the elements that are required to use those higher functions of your brain.
1: I agree. I find that I do a lot of this anyway. And I've, over the years kind of started to incorporate, you know, these things into my life naturally because when I wake up each day, I do have this kind of flow that i feel that really starts in my source in my brain and i do mm-hmm. i it, you know I, those days where it's just not working for me because because i've been drinking or because i haven't slept well or because i mm-hmm. have been eating the wrong things i can mm-hmm. feel it in my brain but when i wake up and i go ah oh, yep yeah, it's all charged up properly that's when i can actually really use my brain to mm-hmm. as you say manifest as well. So you really need to look after yourself. And then you can really use the true potential that you have inside your skull. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible actually. Um, so if people are doing all of that, they're, you know, hydrating and eating well and sleeping well and everything, then you have a four step plan. So in that you've got raised awareness. Create an action board, which we've just discussed, focused mm-hmm. attention, and deliberate practice, repetition. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually told you about the kind of initial sort of uh, when I was introduced to neuroplasticity through the course that I did, and I sort of saw the inside of my brain for the first time. Um, mm. But then uh, I became really interested in it, and my youngest son was thirteen at the time. He's now nearly 20, and he was struggling from dyslexia and it was impacting his mental health. And so I took him out of school. And I took him travelling for a while and then I put him into oh. the Arrowsmith program. Have you heard of the Arrowsmith program? So no. It's an, it's a neuroplasticity program based on Barbara Arrowsmith who is a Canadian woman who yeah. rewired her brain and then started this school for children with, um, you know, learning disabilities.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so my son, when he um, tested prior to going to this, and he did a. It was about ten months there. Uh, he was severely dyslexic, and when he tested at the end of it, he was mi- and is today mildly dyslexic. Wow! Wow! And a lot of that is focused attention and deliberate practice and repetition using the exercises and whatever of the Arrowsmith program. Mm-hmm. So so I know that it really works and sometimes your brain can hurt and you've got to really, really focus your attention on things. Mm-hmm. So can you talk me through your four-step plan with raised awareness, action board, focused attention and deliberate practice?
0: So I'm actually going to change it slightly because I, I created that four steps, especially for the book because the action boards were such an important part of the book. But in terms of behavior change in real life, like when I work with my coaching clients, the process is actually raised awareness, focused attention, deliberate practice and accountability. Hmm. So I kind of switched it around in the book because the action board keeps you accountable because you can clearly see have I manifested these things or not. But if if it's separate to using an action board, then... The process starts with raised awareness, which I always think is 50% of of the battle. You know, if you know what it is that you need to change, Mm. you're halfway there. The not knowing is is like the the gulf of not being able to do anything about it. So understanding that there's a behavior or a relationship pattern or a thought pattern that's not working for you that you want to change. Or if it's along the lines of the action board, a specific thing that you want to achieve, Mm. a goal. So starting with that, and then the focused attention piece is really about saying, don't jump in and try to change anything straight away. Notice what your triggers are. Notice when you fall into that negative thinking. Notice when you are irritable with your partner. Notice when you sabotage yourself. And, you know, journaling is a great thing to accompany that because you can write it down and you can go back and see patterns that keep coming up and, you know, really build up that awareness even further. Once you feel like you've got good awareness of when these things go wrong or when you miss out on opportunities, that's when you can start to decide, okay, what can I do differently? Mm. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about you saying, you know, when you wake up and you're in flow versus when you wake up and you know, it's just not such a good day is one of the things I do to prime my brain every day is as soon as I feel like, okay, I'm waking up, I give gratitude for my pillow, my pillowcase, my bedding. I do bedding. That too. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Put vibes out into the world as, I, as I'm coming up through the brainwaves, you know? <laughs> exactly. Because if you
0: immediately do that, you train yourself to do that, then you're starting your day positively. Mm. If you don't do that, then you might start thinking, oh, what meetings do I have today? Oh no, I've got to get stuff ready for the kids. Mm. And like, you know, it's late and it's very easy to start down that path. And you just want to like change that just for a few minutes before before you start worrying about everything that you have to do in the morning. So, you know, that's that's an example of deliberate practice. That is something that I do every day to make sure that my day starts on a positive rather than a negative.
1: Because your brain is really susceptible, isn't it, at that particular mm. point in that mm. um, it's the alpha brain It's actually,
0: so- there are some great words around this. So, so the period between being awake and falling asleep and the period between being asleep and waking up are called the hypnagogic and hypnopompic states.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I'm i going that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So that's why it's good to look at your vision board just before you go to bed. And it's good to, you know, do have some positive thinking or do some deep breathing just as you're waking up. So in real life, you know, that deliberate practice might look like taking a pause before you react to something that your partner said. It might look like having better boundaries when you go dating. It might look like having, you know, the courage to ask your boss for a raise. It might be start like house hunting, you know, just maybe things that you've been putting off or negative thoughts that you've been having that you turn into positive ones. So, you know, if you have a recurring negative thought, like I'm never gonna meet anyone, then you need to get under that thought and understand what you believe about yourself that makes you think that, and then create a positive affirmation that you can replace that negative thought with. So every time you think, oh, I'm never going to meet anyone, if your belief under that is that you're not lovable or, you know, you're not attractive enough, then, you know, you would change that to, I have a lot of love to give and receive. And you would keep saying that, you know, to kind of replace thought. And then the accountability piece is really, that we all have New Year's resolutions that mostly we don't keep. So it's kind of about making sure either with an action board or with a coach or a friend, partner, that these are the things I'm working on. These are the things I want to change. These are the things I want to achieve. Can you help me like check in on me in three months time and see how I'm going with it?
1: Mm, mm, It's so good. And I think accountability is really important. I have a, um, a group and we hold each other accountable and have for years, you know, with meditation mm. and and with changing our programs and the neural pathways, you know, and mm. sort of the language that we use is this kind of language. We'll talk to each other about, well, you know, why do you think that? And that's going back to that mm. thought that you have of whatever a, a program, one of my great ones is, oh, I've got to do everything alone. Got to do it. Do you? Mm is that correct? (laughs) Hmm. Why are we thinking that again? Didn't we deal with that last year, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) prove it wrong? So, you know, then replacing that thought every time it comes up and go, well, no, that's not true. Um, And that's back
0: to that metacognition, isn't it? Being able to challenge your own hmm. thinking rather than becoming engulfed by the emotions. And, you know, I'm guessing if we had longer, that that's, that's probably a neural pathway that's been there since childhood, which is why absolutely. even though you've worked on it, it can crop up, especially when you're stressed.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And it um, cropped up just recently. And I thought, oh, wow, this old friend, you know, haven't yeah. seen yeah. this for a while. And I was, I was tired and stressed yeah. at that particular week. But it it is interesting that, you know, those really deep seated ones. But yeah, I've been doing this work on myself now for Five years, like really mm. committed heavily mm. to um to this for five years, and the difference in my life and what I've been able to manifest
0: mm-hmm. in my
1: life is incredible. It's mind blowing mm. because I've used my source, you know, and I've gone in and I've changed uh, so many different patterns and beliefs that I had about myself and about the world and how I perceived things, and um. So I know that it works. I absolutely know that it works, and my my life yeah. is an example of that, and I think you know one of those things is show don't tell. There are a lot of people around mm. me who've seen the changes in my life as well. Mm. So then, so what I've done is I've gone well, look, I've you go, know, I've read this book recently, and <laughs> give them your book as well to show them how to do it. And I think your book is one of the best. Books out there to really explain, to simplify all of the language around the brain e- that you put in there is so fascinating. All the details of, you know, how it is formed and the different areas of the brain and the chemicals and that, you know, it's so fascinating. And at the core of it, it is that everyone has the power to change their life. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, I just think it's a gift what you've shared with people in this book. So, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: That makes me so happy because it was hard work. I'm not really a natural writer, but the ideas were very important to me. And, you know, I feel inspired by listening to the self-development and well being journey that you've been on. I can see that you've done the work and and you've experienced the benefits. I just want to say for the listeners that even for me, who's been doing this for a long time and written a book about it, it comes and goes, you know, there are times when I'm like, be careful what you wish for, because I'm just manifesting like crazy at the moment. And there are times where that's just not happening. And that's Mm. okay, too. So I think, you know, understanding your own rhythms as well, and, and being okay with that. And that's why, you know, you mentioned the six principles. And later on, there comes like patience and harmony and universal connection. That's to do with the fact that some of these things take time, Sometimes you know it's not the right time for you for something to happen, and and being patient and understanding that everything happens like in harmony with other people and the world and you know energy Mm. and stuff like that is important
1: too. Yeah, that's so true. And also, you know, as you say, coming back to the thought that obviously stems from my childhood or whatever, I've discovered that you've just got to be patient with yourself because sometimes Mm. things that you go, oh, I've done so much work on that before, but it's, you're not returning to the same thought. I find everything is a spiral and it's usually a deeper Mm. truth of Mm. it. And that's the work that we do on ourselves. And, you know, I see it as an adventure and books like yours are just a doorway to it. It's so exciting, really. So what do you want for anyone who's listening today and they don't Mm. have your book and they must go and buy it, everyone run out, buy it. But until they have that in their hands, what, how can they start to fire up the power of this the source and to, you know, the bookshop's shut and they have to get there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm going to put this in two ways. One is that we can't underestimate the importance of the basics that we talked about, sleep, hydration, nutrition, you know, oxygenating your brain um, and managing your stress. But if there's one thing that I would love people to go out and do, even before they read the book, and then they can, you know, go through the chapter on how to make an action board and kind of double check it, is grab some magazines, start looking at images, dream big. The potential in your brain is way more than you believe it is. And I just love to see people manifesting that really believing in themselves being bigger and better than they ever thought they could be. And and just like the knock on effect that that has on, on other people, like, you know, your example of people seeing you manifesting and, you know, just like on the world, I think it's, we can all do a little bit To make ourselves better and that kind of makes the whole world a better place too
1: it's amazing thank you so much the book is the source I urge you all to read it Tara Swart thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today I've just like it's you know I'm fangirling you're amazing thank you
0: (laughs) thank you so much Jane it's been an absolute pleasure